This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for September 22nd, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, Cloud9 gets the better of their North American Heroes of the Storm rival, Team Tempo Storm. We also take a look at the finals of StarCraft II's Star League tournament between Zerg and Protoss heavyweights Bjell and Hero. Then later on, we'll be talking Counter-Strike as we examine the victory of Team Envious at DreamHack London. But first, this weekend, Blizzard hosted the North American finals of the Heroes of the Storm Road to BlizzCon event, in which teams competed for a $40,000 grand prize and a seed at the main event at BlizzCon. That's a big deal for the nascent Heroes of the Storm scene, as it gives some of those teams a chance at a major payday, since the BlizzCon Heroes winner walks away with two hundred grand in early November. Uh, this is a moment when the Heroes of the Storm competitive scene is trying to flex a little bit and prove that it's going to be around for the long haul, and the America's Championship weekend played a big part in that as Cloud9 took out the tournament favorites, Tempo Storm. Yeah, you know, this was a weekend where I, I think, you know, Blizzard put on a really fun show. Like that that can't really be overstated that like the, the, the game has felt climactic, the casting was great, the show itself was just a really fun, lively event. Uh and I think this was a a really important grand finals too for both Cloud Nine, who were the eventual winners, and Heroes of the Storm as a whole. Uh, you know, I think to survive an esport needs stories that people can follow and that usually takes the, the, the form of rivalries and to date uh, cloud nine versus tempo storm has been sort of the rivalry of heroes of the storm uh, but at the same time it wasn't really that much of a rivalry you know temple Sto- tempo storm uh, tends to beat cloud nine barring the exception of cloud nine's legendary comeback at the heroes major uh, the heroes major league and america's championship earlier this month um and if Tempo Storm had beaten Cloud9 again here, then I think this rivalry storyline would have kind of kind of withered. Uh, but instead, we were treated to this incredible five-game slugfest that Cloud9 was able to win, which really established these two teams as like the big story of the scene. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Uh, Cloud9 were definitely in danger of falling into that bridesmaid class of esports <laughs> teams, uh, where, you know, at the big tournaments, they hadn't really offered a ton of challenge to Tempo Storm, and, you know, I don't know if, you know, I don't know how much weight you set by by prize pools, but, you know, the, the Heroes major victory that Cloud9 did win uh, was a pretty small prize pot, right? So, like, in terms of the big stages, in terms of the big moments, they, they have not compared favorably with Tempo Storm. Uh, so they needed to at least make this one a fight if they were going to keep building up that rivalry. Uh, otherwise, it was going to be in CLG TSM territory in League of Legends or uh, in football uh, Bears-Packers territory, <laughs> where one team just keeps destroying the other one, but everyone pretends it's still a meaningful rivalry out of politeness. <laughs> I can say that to you, Andrew, because we're both from the Chicago That's area. True. Like, yeah, I, no, like I understand. You, you, you know where my heart is on that matter. Uh, but you know, I'll tell you what struck me at this tournament. Uh, these two teams seemed kind of mismatched in some really interesting ways uh, that I think speak to what's kind of cool about Heroes of the Storm. Tempo really seemed to want those opportunities to get fights and ganks uh, where individual player skill could be decisive. And Cloud9 seemed really committed to exploiting map objectives to deny those kinds of pitched battles. The The entire thing reminded me of, um, you know, when we talked about MVP Black a couple weeks ago at the uh, MSI tournament at, at PAX. 
And MVP Black had well, they were the, they were the complete package, right? They're great players, but it was really impressive that it almost didn't seem to matter who they were playing, because they had this like iron grasp on the map mechanics that made it impossible for other teams to sort of get any leverage against them. And I think Cloud9 kind of did the same thing here, where they were really exploiting the way the maps worked to sort of counter the fact that I think, you know, in stand-up fights, Tempo had slightly better players. You know, it's interesting to me that that that's what you came away uh, from this tournament with, because I actually came away with something, you know, fairly fairly different. Um, I was I was wondering at the end of this tournament whether or not what we're seeing on the field is actually where the game is being won and lost. Um, you know, what the, the thing that I kept noticing over and over again in all of these games, pretty much, uh, you know, the Grand Finals was far closer than any of the matches that had preceded it. But what I kept noticing was that you would see a team jump out to like a really small early lead, like in, even in like level two or three, they would already have this small minuscule lead. And then that lead would just keep getting bigger, not by like leaps and bounds, but just keep inching out. And so by level 10, level 15, they were already up by, you know, one or two levels and really nothing all that major had happened. Um, and, you know, the casters tend to focus a lot on these big kills, you know, or, or big gangsters, things like that. But, you know, in Heroes of the Storm, kills aren't really worth a whole lot. Like if you look at the gra- the, the graph or the, oh, excuse me, the, the experience bar up at the top of the screen, it doesn't really move a whole lot when people die. Um, it's really about how you're manipulating the field, how you're soaking up experience from the field that really decides whether or not you're going to get ahead in the game. And that the consistency with which one team would get ahead really early without anything really even having happened and then continue to stretch that out over the course of the game made me feel like the game was actually being won and lost on the picks and bands phase. Uh, And that what we were watching on the field was almost like a formality and that we didn't quite know that the game had been won or lost, and maybe even the players didn't really know the game had been won or lost, but it did sort of start to feel that way. That's a really interesting point. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here and say, like, I'm not really positioned to evaluate that because one of the things that I always suck at gauging is like the strength of a of a team draft in, in a MOBA, right? Like it's much easier for me to sort of grok what I'm seeing on the battlefield. For sure. A, it's yeah. more interesting, I'm more engaged with it. Mm-hmm. Uh but B you know, my history is actually in, like, RTSs and war games and such. So, like, I'm really sensitive to stuff like positioning and things like that. And it does mean that, like, the draft stage is, is a place where the finer points often elude me. Uh, but I think there's a good chance you're right. Uh, you know, certainly I saw a lot of people talking about, like, the fact that, uh, you know, Tempo Storm uh, you know, early on got off to a bad start because they, they apparently, like, they, they drafted the Butcher, uh, you know, straight out of the gate, and sort of Cloud Nine were able to to counterpick a- around that character and and kind of derail uh, Tempo Storm's entire game plan from the start. But you know, I also think there's there's a degree to which I'm not sure how much the teams and players themselves have completely figured out the the optimal optimal way to play uh, heroes uh, from map to map, even right. So it's it's one of the cool things about a new game. You know, to what degree should you be uh, fighting over map objectives versus uh, just trying to get as much, uh, you know, lane, what they call lane soak, uh, just gathering experience up uh, in, in the lanes with the creeps, uh, to what degree you should be pursuing that? And I think a lot of these are still sort of open questions in, in Heroes. And I, actually, I, I hope they stay open for a long time, right? Like, right. games are at their most fun 
when there's still like a lot of room for people to experiment and try stuff out and it's not clear that there is an optimal like meta that people have to adhere to and i think that's one of the things that's really enjoyable about heroes right now uh, as opposed to you know maybe some other mobas right and i think that that to its credit i think that heroes of the storm is actually a much more complex game than people give it you know give it credit for um it, it kind of you know rode into the moba scene as the 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 noob moma moba the the sort of what hearthstone was to magic the gathering is sort of what people considered heroes of the storm being to league of legends or dota 2 and I actually don't think that that's actually fair to the team-wide complexity of the game i think to the individual player it's a it's a much uh, it's a much simpler game than a lot of those other games. However, the team strategy, I think, is is incredibly complex. And to the point where we've been playing this game now for months and months and months. And there really is, like you had said, really no discernible meta there. Um, you know, however, I I think that going forward, we might see this this thing like this thing that I was talking about where the game is feels like it's been decided before the match even starts I think that might start to regulate itself out because I think part of the reason why that is is because there's a huge focus on on tanks or what they're called warriors in in Heroes of the Storm they're incredibly powerful you know characters like um like Leoric or Johanna um, are, are always some of the first characters picked, and it, or Muradin as well. And it really just feels like being a beefy character is such an advantage in Heroes of the Storm to the point where we're seeing teams roll out with three tanks, one damage dealer and a healer. You know, and anybody who's played a, a, an MMO or, or even just like a tabletop RPG knows that you're probably not supposed to have three tanks. And, and I hope that in the future maybe Blizzard takes that to heart and, and buffs damage dealers, you know, like Zeratul, who is very positioned base but very fragile uh or or brings down the damage that tanks are able to uh to dish out because you have characters like leoric right now who is incredibly tanky uh can dish out huge amounts of damage but also has a really great escape spell uh and that just makes him you know a, a first pick or a ban in almost every single game and it's not really uh conducive to a really uh fun meta game and i know and i hope that in the future we start to see a, a bigger emphasis on characters that are that are higher risk and reward because uh, it doesn't feel like that right now it feels like you can kind of just take your warriors jump into the middle of the fray and then just walk away if things go <laughs> things go poorly you know yeah, uh, very much so. At the at the same time, I, I do want to just return to that that final of Tampa Store and uh, Storm and uh, Cloud Nine uh, there at the end because I, I think it was it was interesting. The, Heroes can be this really volatile game uh, in in some ways, and it was interesting to me that like where the uh, t- the Tempo Storm the high water mark of the Tempo Storm rally uh, took place on a uh, Sky uh, Sky Temple. And that's a map where the the entire map hinges on these two the, these two control points basically uh, that sort of force these big like you know all in team fights right where like winner winner's going to take all and then this, the 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 map itself basically nukes your opponent's base uh, and, and that was a case I think where you know because those fights were being forced uh, it, it just felt to me like that's where Tempo Storm were really really strong and it was interesting to me how. The, the the final map, uh, which was was Blackheart Bay, uh, Cloud Nine, basically adopted sort of they adopted this approach almost like negative control of the objective, right? Where the, their whole game plan really seemed almost more about denying uh, 
uh, Tempo Storm the ability to turn in coins uh, to the pirate because on on Blackheart Bay you have to you collect uh, you collect uh, doubloons from around the map and you go and buy off the ghost pirate who God this is really difficult to describe <laughs> that. it's like the most absurd stuff even by esports standards it's like okay so you give the money to the ghost pirate but anyway you have to return to the center of the map. And you have to give the money to this pirate, and then his pirate ship will just start like blasting down uh, enemy positions, and it's 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 really powerful. And te- like tempo, really like we're, we're doing fine at getting the doubloons, but where they were where they were having things go against them was that Cl- Cloud Nine just made that area around Black uh, around Blackheart himself so incredibly dangerous. That the game just kept turning against tempo uh, every time they went for the for the map the, for the central objective of the map. Uh, it was it was really interesting to just see how like uh, Cloud Nine were sort of just leveraging those 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 map dynamics uh, to sort of neutralize what Tempo Storm were trying to do. Right. Well, and you, you noted earlier that Cloud Nine has a little bit of trouble showing up to play in these big tournament events. Uh, and and even though this was a grand final and there was some money on the line, it's important to note that because both of them made it to the grand finals they both earned a seat to blizzcon so in a way this grand final was a little bit of a formality there was some money on the line uh, but the pressure wasn't really there uh, and so we're, it, it, it's going to be really interesting as these both of these two teams may actually go on to blizzcon and, and meet again uh, and on the other side of the ocean this weekend, we also had uh, DreamHack Championship taking place in London, which hosted events in Call of Duty, Super Smash Brothers, and Counter-Strike. Uh, we'll be focusing on the Counter-Strike portion of the event, but if you're a fan of Call of Duty or Smash Brothers, be sure to check out the VODs when they go up online or the videos on demand, VODs. Uh, but in Counter-Strike, we saw Team Envious come away with the title. Rob, what did you see from Envious this weekend? Well, I, I saw them have Team Solo Mids number yet again. Uh, you know, it was, it's only been a month or so uh, since we these two teams met in the final, uh, and we discussed it on our August 11th show where we talked about their clash at Gamescom, and that was another situation where TSM and NVS uh, meet in the final, and NVS just stomped all over the uh, Danish squad. So the good news for TSM, I guess, is that they didn't get destroyed this time out. Uh, the finals, <laughs> you know, no, the finals against NVS were really close uh, throughout. They were just these absolute shootouts uh, where both teams were trading rounds and winning them by the skin of their teeth. And it was great stuff. Uh, but at the same time, it had to be maddening for a team solo mid. Because this is a team that's consistently a runner-up, but never the big winner and that's kind of been the theme of this year for them is that they've got a lot of they've got a lot of like silvers and bronze uh <laughs> in their trophy case but but not a lot of uh not a lot of tournament tournament victories and this was yet another case where things just didn't quite work out for TSM and TSM are probably going home with a lot of these uh you know if only moments you know if you wanted to sum up the Team Solo Mid experience right now, uh, and certainly their experience in the finals against uh, Envious. I think you'd have to look at that first map against Envious on Dust and uh, the third round. And it's an early round, so both teams are trying to get momentum and uh, you know start winning the economic battle early. And Team Solo Mid uh, win the fight over the bomb site. Uh, they're playing counter terrorist side. And they win the fight, They're, they control the bomb site, but the sole survivor for TSM uh, doesn't have the defusal kit. 
and they're literally like a second away from defusing the bomb and it explodes. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like that summed up the finals, right? Where like all other things being equal, things just worked out for Envious and they just fell apart for TSM. It was a little bit of Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that the the moment that's going to to like live on from this tournament uh, was was on that same map. Uh, I want to say about a dozen, maybe eighteen rounds later, uh, was this incredible moment where Envious's Kiyoshima was the last man standing against two TSM players. Uh, the the TSM is playing terrorists. They planted the bomb, and Kiyoshima is coming in to try to defuse it. And we see him gloriously dance around the bomb site, take out the main defender, and then get into position to defuse the. Bomb. And he does have that defusal kit, so it only takes him about four or five seconds to defuse the bomb. But then in like a near mirror of that previous map that Rob was talking about, right as he starts defusing it, a Molotov hits right under his feet and he just starts slowly burning alive right as he's defusing the bomb. And it's just like this it's this race where like the, the bomb defusal bar is, is decreasing at the same rate as his health bar is decreasing. And he ends up dying with just 3% of his health left right as, as the bomb is diffused and they're able to take away this map. And it's just one glowing and glaring example of of just luck being on Envy's side against TSM. You know, and, and there were times when it was just really fun to watch Envious just work this weekend. So, you know, like, they got their, their good luck moments, but they also were just really on their toes. Uh, you know, they've been one of the top teams for a while now, and, and to my eye, they've got to be you know, the most purely talented team in the world. When it comes to just like a straight up gun battle, I'm always going to put my, my money on Envious. And particularly, they're, they're like their top rifle gunners, Kiyoshima and NBK, who always seem to just be able to get these really key pickoffs, impossible headshots, and, and maybe even more importantly, they always seem to be able to just go in and trade their life for more than what it was worth. They're the guys who will jump into an impossible situation and somehow come out of it with two and sometimes three kills before going down themselves. And, and I think the most beautiful part of this whole tournament was getting to watch Envy just take apart Copenhagen Wolves in the, sem- in the semifinals. I mean, it got to the point where you could tell Envy didn't even really have that much of a strategy anymore because they knew that two out of three times they were simply going to just outshoot the other team because they were simply better. And, and so the scores, you know, lopsided as they were, to me, didn't accurately reflect just how confident and in control Envy really was. And that was really fun to watch, to be able to, to see just how far ahead some teams are in the CSGO scene. There's sort of this upper echelon of teams that nobody below them can even touch. You know, I'd rank Envious, Solo Mid, Fnatic, and Virtus Pro in their in that top tier, and then maybe Gamers too as well, which is the former team Kingwin, as well as uh, Navi. Uh, but if you're not one of those maybe top eight CSGO teams, you just aren't even close. And it's just great to be able to really see the skill of Counter-Strike because Sometimes it's hard to see when the best teams are playing against each other. And that's that's consistent across all esports. When two really A tier teams are are going up against each other, they kind of cancel out each other's skill, and it sort of just looks like a game between two average teams. You can't really see the skill. But when an A tier team plays a B tier team, and you just get to watch B tier team, which is which you know is full of amazing talent, just get taken apart. Sometimes it's just a joy to watch. Yeah, and I definitely. Uh... You know, to that to that point about envy seem confident in control. 
The funny thing is, as close and dramatic as those uh, games with uh, Team Solomon in the finals were, I kind of felt like Envious were weirdly in control of those too, right? Where it's like, you know, like they were trading rounds right and left. Like nobody, like nobody ran away with it. But it always felt like Envious were just like they, they just always knew they were gonna they were, they could maintain a you know round advantage, and they just sort of rode that to the finish line. And that, that first map on Dust, like even like even when Team Solomon kept winning rounds. It never felt like uh, Envious was in trouble, and it was it was a strange thing. It's like the analogy, I guess, is like when you're watching a football game and it turns into a shootout, right? Where it's the two offenses just like running up and down the field, and they're just having their way with the defenses, whatever. But you know, one of those offenses is just better, right? And you know, at some point, that like in you know, in the end, they're going to be the ones who are in control of the game at the end. They're not going to fail, and the other team is because this one team just you know they're too clutch, and the other team doesn't quite have that. And I think that's kind of what we saw with Envious uh, this weekend is, is that they they are just that team uh, that that has that ability, and it doesn't hurt that you know. Yeah, Kiyoshima and uh, NBK are both these tremendous players and uh, also have this really great complementary skill set. Like, Kiyoshima just seems like this this amazing uh, sort of, this, this like, ace uh, shooter. And NBK has this crazy uh, instinct for, like, the map itself, right? Like, he just, he's reading plays beautifully. But, you know, everyone on NVS, Envious seemed to be stepping up. Uh, this weekend, you know, Kenny uh, was was carrying for a few rounds there, and when you got a team where you know your your aces are backed up by supporting players who will just go into to hyper carry mode, uh, that's you know that's just huge, and I'm I'm really curious to see how Envious do this weekend in uh, Gfinity, Gfinity's Champion of Champions event in uh, Birmingham, England, against those top teams uh, that you that you just mentioned. So we'll be keeping an eye on them to see if they can keep up the winning run. Uh, but for now, over in the world of StarCraft, this weekend we got to see a good final in the Star League tournament between Buell and Hero, both of whom have risen to be considered two of the best in the world at their respective races. But once again, we saw the very talented Buell just fail to seal the deal. Right. You know, I, I mentioned last week when we were looking ahead to this tournament that you're never really sure which Buell is going to show up. You know, the Zerg monster, you know, the best Zerg in the world, or the emotional wreck. And this was a case where we actually got to see both in the same match. Uh, and it was, and this was really interesting to me because it actually reminded me a lot of when we were talking about CounterLogic Gaming's playoff run a few shows back uh, in the League of Legends North American LCS, where every team that played them kept saying, you know, we're not worried about CounterLogic counter because they have a reputation for choking and we're not worried about it. And then, of course, they didn't and CounterLogic crushed everybody. Uh, but this was interesting because Buell, or Buell has that same reputation. He tends to choke in these big games. He's a very very emotional player he gets really frustrated and a lot of times it doesn't really seem like he believes in himself uh, but rather than just rely on buell to choke as a lot of those league of legends teams did um it, his opponent hero like takes his hands and just like puts him around buell's neck and squeezes like he he came out right away and used this strategy that is very risky that nobody uses anymore it's called an immortal all-in uh, which is basically all about assembling a really strong protoss army for a very specific t attack timing window it used to be really popular but zurich's kind of figured out how to defend it and it, it fell off in popularity uh, but now hero 
pulls out this old build and just wrecks Buell on the first map, uh, which alone clearly frustrated Buell. But then on the second map, Hero busts out the exact same build yet again, and, it, and at that point, it felt like Buell got angry. Like, he was like kind of lost his cool. I feel like I see this a lot with, with Protoss, and I think this is one of the reasons why the race sort of has this checkered reputation. Like, <laughs> like watching Protoss do the... Like, watching Protoss beat someone like that always feels a bit frustrating, right? Because it, it's, it's like you can't believe you're seeing uh, a good player lose to this stuff. I think the same we had the same thing when uh, SOS beat Marine King, uh, you know, earlier this year in the during the winter, uh, as Marine King he fell on his face yet again uh, in, in a StarCraft <laughs> final. Uh, so... Yeah, it was it was kind of shocking to see Buell crumble in, in the face of that stuff, and then it was interesting how he responded. Uh, and you know, I don't know if I I don't know if I'd say it's anger because because there was a, there was a game later in the series that I don't think he could have done nearly as well if he'd been the least bit angry. I think he I think he was pretty cool. I think, but in game three, he goes for this really obnoxious uh, cheese, right? He goes for <laughs> right. he goes for an eight pool. So he's he's basically trying to do your classic uh, zergling rush, um, and it's really dramatic because, you know, at this point, this entire thing is in danger of snowballing away from him, and this has happened to him in the finals before. And so everyone's kind of just expecting Buell to just crumple, uh, and he goes for the goes for the eight pool, goes for the zergling rush, and right as that play is starting to get underway, there's a pause, <laughs> and it's not and it's not like it's not like quick like oh hang on we just have to talk to the admin for like three seconds and then we're back in the game right it was like God, was it like fifteen minutes it, it was, was a long. long pause it was a really long one and so like it's just it, it had to have been hell. Right, because Buell's sitting there wondering. Because this is a strategy where if it doesn't work out, there is no way back. You know, like this is this is his tournament life is on the line, and he's basically gambling that that Hero is not going to expect this. Right, and what was extra terrible about this was that it seemed like what had happened was that uh, Hero on the other side of the booth had a malfunction in his noise canceling earphones and was able to hear the crowd cheering. Uh, and and that, that's sort of a telltale sign that something dramatic is on its way. It's not something you don't expect to hear the crowd start cheering really loudly two minutes into the game. Uh, and so, you know, credit where it was due, he acknowledged that he had heard something and, and told the admins about it and said, look, you need to shut this down. And and it, it actually looked like they might have to restart the map for a little while, which which just uh, just would have wrecked Buell, uh, that, which I'm so glad that that didn't happen. Uh, but they, they were actually able to go ahead and continue on with the game. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's interesting. It's it's something we see a lot. They weren't in their normal uh, tournament venue for this. They were they were doing their finals in sort of an open air uh, like entertainment arena, basically, which had a few side effects. Like the the stream quality, audio quality on the English stream <laughs> yes, was yes. awful. Yes, it was. Like it was it was really bad. They didn't have the American uh, the 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 American and and Australian casters set up with observer uh, PCs. So they were just watching the game basically the same as us. <laughs> um, so that was that was a little little suboptimal. But then these are also cases where you run into stuff like that, where you don't have the booth. You have you're just relying on these noise canceling headphones uh, to drown out, uh, you know, a, a, a screaming crowd of uh, hundreds. But you know, it worked out. Uh, the 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 zergling rush uh, went off w- without a hitch. And, uh, you know, then then we head into, uh, you know, Buell kind of 
traded that momentum away right away, right? And like right. he he just made bad decisions in the fourth game. Uh, where I feel like in the fourth game, this is like Buell had the the thing had the game under control. Like Hero was being forced to respond to what Buell was doing, um, and Buell seemed to be firmly in control of that match. And then he sent his entire army uh, against Hero's natural, and I don't know was it was it a bad engagement or or just a just a bad decision overall? His army just got split and picked apart, and completely traded away for for not much substantive damage uh to hero and opened the door for hero just to walk across the map with a with a mob of archons and uh you know if the game had just gone on a little while longer and buell could have used his economy to to sort of rebuild uh he probably would have gone on to win that but he he threw the door wide open uh for hero and that set up this this really dramatic uh game five which i think was just the best game of the uh, of, of the final, and uh, you know, yet another like great StarCraft moment, uh, because it was it was ridiculous, and I saw some things that I just do not seem see very often, <laughs> uh, including uh, clutch swarm hosts, uh, which was pretty amazing, which we haven't seen in months. Yeah, the swarm host uh, doesn't seem to have gotten a lot of love ever since it was uh, nerfed. But man, seeing how Buell used it, uh, it you know, it, it filled a couple really interesting roles, and I was really excited uh, because the new the new swarm host uh, is is a sort of more active unit uh, than the old swarm host, and its its locusts uh, can can fly. And so they like I think they were calling them swoop locusts, <laughs> and it was really cool because uh, that you know there was a point where. Uh, Buell had smuggled a bunch of these, uh, the a bunch of these swarm hosts uh, to sort of this little like land peninsula opposite uh, Heroes. Uh, I think it was his third. Yeah, it was his third. Yeah, uh, and so Heroes got his whole army. He's trying to break into uh, Buell's base, and and Buell was running just a a really masterful defense and planting just tons of. Uh, of spine crawlers down to to keep him at bay, but then you see this glorious sneak attack of the uh, the swoop <laughs> locust, which really does look. It's a pretty visually dramatic yeah. thing. There's a little like literal like wave of locusts, right? Like you can hear that, like, ride of the Valkyries in the background. Yeah, and they just like land in the third and just start wrecking stuff. It was really cool. Yeah, it was really neat because swarm hosts are this incredibly immobile unit. They're very fragile, and it's one of the reasons why they're not used very often. And and it, it was really unique to see Buell kind of reach into his bag of trips, tricks and and pull out the Nidus Worm. So the Nidus Worm is basically like it masquerades as this giant underground worm that uh, that instantly transports your units from one side of the map to the other, uh, wherever you choose the ex exit point to be. And so he pulls out the Nidus Worm, which is a really cool Zerg like building i guess you would call it that we really don't get to see very often it's always used for these really cool cheeky plays and he's using and he's building he's rebuilding this nidus worm over and over and over again every time it gets destroyed to just pop up these swarm hosts on the other side of the map do a bunch of damage and then retreat with them pop up on a different side of the map do a bunch of damage and retreat and it was just really really cool to see and in the meantime while he's doing all of that you mentioned this 
uh, these these spine crawlers, these immobile defensive units. They're like they look like a big finger just sticking out of the map, just poking at people until they're, they they're die. They're part building, part unit. Right, and so it, it, the, the announcers refer to them as a forest of these things because there's just he's building so many more than you ever see Zergs uh, create, and he's just picking them up out of the ground because it's one of their abilities, and just moving them around wherever they need to be. And it's just this this stationary army that can go wherever he needs it to be. It was really really unique to watch, and it all leads into this game six uh which was really bizarre uh you know buell stages a solid comeback to bring the series to three to two by winning that awesome game five with the cheeky swarm host play and everything Uh, and then proceeds to just lose it in game six and fall apart you know really early into the game buell is able to scout hero and should be able to tell what hero's strategy is and prepare for it but he just doesn't he just doesn't see, for whatever reason, what everybody else sees. And then beyond that, Hero literally just walks into Buell's base with some very basic units just trying to harass a little bit and starts killing way more than he should have been able to and, and, and actually just gets away scot-free. Uh, and the follow-up to that is just this vicious attack by Hero that Buell didn't prepare for for whatever reason, uh, and, and it just wrecks Buell's economy. And he wasn't done because then he goes on to accidentally build two hydro dense and at that point it becomes like this sociological study of someone having a mental breakdown you know like this is what it looks like when someone practices for years building up to one moment and then cracks you know this is the star of the broadway play forgetting their lines on opening night you know or like worse it's like forgetting your lines on closing night after you've already done the play 50 times yeah it was it was a really frustrating game to watch and you know i I I, w- I wish I also I wish I had his POV because uh, mm-hmm. I still don't know actually what he did now because the thing is like the announcers were certainly talking about he has to know he has to scout this he has to know but I don't think he ever did scout the proxy pylon and uh, Stargate I don't think he ever saw those he did he should have he did he did not you're correct okay yeah so he didn't so now should he have been able to infer something like that was coming down probably. But his his scouting pattern with those Zerglings was kind of weird. He ended up parking them in, in a corner of the map for the rest of the game, and they never did anything. <laughs> but he never he never actually saw what was coming down at him. He should have suspected because when you're playing against Protoss, you almost have to like you almost have to guard against Oracle harass if if you don't see. You know, if, if if you don't see the Protoss, uh, you know, either investing heavily in gateways or uh, you know, getting an early nexus, right, right, and and Buell didn't do any of that, and he actually canceled his uh, anti-air defense, which <laughs> which would have shut down the Oracle play entirely, yeah, and so yeah, he just ends up crumbling in in the face of what's a what's a pretty basic play, and then like you said, he was just completely lost in the game, and his decision making had just deserted him for the night and he had this huge you know he he had one hope right which was to take this big hydralisk army and uh you know just see you can do something with it right because like it was an army that was on a timer uh like they were going to they were they were going to be completely useless very quickly uh they'd been seen uh hero was was going to win this in a walk and Buell just i guess couldn't commit to doing anything with it he couldn't like he couldn't psychologically grapple with the fact that he just had to stake everything on one last play uh, that probably wouldn't work but might uh, and so he just ended up kind of like sticking around at home waiting to be eliminated right. yeah uh, and there's that other there's another one of those moments where there's this caster in Korea uh, named Wolf who 
is just gets so frustrated with Buell because he likes him so much and wants him to win, and he just like loses his cool every time Buell starts doing he, like doesn't do what he should obviously be doing. And you just hear him kind of like having a panic attack. Be like, Buell, what are you doing? You've got to attack. Go now. <laughs> yeah, Wolf. Wolf is a national treasure. He really uh, is. Like he's he's fantastic. But yeah, it was it was it was a painful defeat because it was like after game five, you were you were all excited for thinking like this is going to be it. This is going to be legendary. Absolutely. It's going to be seven games. Like Buell's finally here. And then game six is just like. It's just like, oh, this again. Like it's <laughs> like, you know. And and the thing is, I don't want to belabor the point because I think it does get a little overstated. Uh, that you know, that Buell's this like really fragile player. But then you see a game like Game Six, and you're like, man, you know, this guy really is like, this guy is prone to tripping himself up. So, uh, that that was the end of the Star League tournament, and uh, it gave Hero uh, his his first uh, you know sort of Korean major, which is a pretty huge milestone because Hero's been this guy that's been sort of hyped up as this brilliant Protoss for like literal ages. Uh, you know, it, it's been like years now uh, of Hero being talked about as this like elite top tier player, and the results at home just just haven't shown up. He's he's always seemed like uh, a, a player who was almost great but not quite, and this this sort of answers that. So it was it was cool to see him live up to his potential, right? And uh, to watch him come out of the booth like with tears in his eyes, covering his face and stand in front of the cheering crowd. That was actually like a beautiful moment in esports. Like I loved that. Oh yeah, and there's there's not nearly enough of it. Uh, but it was yeah, it was wonderful to see that, and it was a great it was a great end to what proved to be a a pretty fantastic StarCraft tournament. Uh, but that does it for all the news from esports today. Uh, now let's talk about esports tomorrow. Uh, so this coming week we are going to see if Buell can bounce back from his demoralizing defeat as he competes in the GSL semifinals against Deer. Another high-profile Protoss player. Honestly, I don't have a good feeling about that one. <laughs> like, I'm trying to hype it, hype it up, but I'm like, after seeing what we saw this weekend, uh, like, either, either Buell's going to destroy Deer, or he's going to get blown out. I don't think. I think it goes one of those two ways. I, I don't think it's going to be a great match. I think it's either going to be like Buell just unleashing like Zerg Hell on Deer, mm-hmm. or it's going to be another collapse. Uh, but what I'm really excited about is Maru versus Innovation. So that's going to be really interesting. I I don't know if you watched uh, Maru's previous game uh, in the round of eight against Rogue, uh, but it led me to believe that we're going to be seeing an Innovation versus Deer final uh, because, I mean, Innovation looked great in his round of eight match and Maru actually kind of looked like garbage. Uh, He wins against Rogue, but really sloppily. And, and, And he tries to play Mech, uh, against this rogue, uh, rogue is a Zerg player, and it just doesn't look very good. And and you're going up against innovation, and you know Terran versus Terran tends to be played with Mech versus Mech. Uh, sometimes you see Bio versus Mech, but it's not all that common. Uh, and innovation is just a brilliant Mech player, always has been. And so you're thinking about you know how is Maru's Mech going to look against innovation, and you're kind of worried. Um, 
But, you know, in the past, we have said this in the past, you know, during Maru's rookie season, I believe it was in the round of four again in GSL. He played against Innovation and everybody kind of wrote him off. They said, like, he's too young. He's This is a fluke run. He's just, he's going to get beaten up by Innovation, who's more experienced. He's a higher skilled player. And Maru just comes out and just starts attacking him in like two, three minutes. Every single game just brings out these amazingly disciplined, vicious attacks really early and picks Innovation apart. And Innovation is actually kind of another one of those players who can be highly emotional you know if he gets thrown off of his game that can be it you know um and so it's really going to be a matter of whether maru can throw innovation off you know if they both play a a structured you know good normal game of starcraft innovation is going to mop the floor with him but if maru can throw him off then we might see something else happen We'll be seeing how that plays out this week. Uh, Over in Dota 2, we've also got the start of the Dota 2 Champions League, which was announced as kind of a surprise just a couple of days ago and begins immediately. Uh, This is kind of a minor tournament. It used to be a bigger deal, but now it's kind of a minor tournament now that there's the the international and all the Dota 2 majors. Uh, And it's going to serve as something of a training ground, I think, for B-tier teams to kind of make some cash and and win some renown and maybe break into the class of teams that actually have a shot at, at one of the Dota to two majors or the international and returning to andrew's elite csgo comments earlier this weekend we've got gfinity's champion of champions tournament where envious fanatic ninjas in pajamas and virtus pro will be competing over a one hundred thousand dollar prize pool and then we've got dreamhack stockholm where that b tier of counter-strike teams are competing <laughs> over probably less money uh, <laughs> however, the real prize at DreamHack Stockholm is the StarCraft tournament, where you've got a really great lineup with players like SOS, Rain, Dark, and uh, the hero of the WCS Season 3 Finals, Mana, all competing. The Muslim will also be there. I like how Mana loses and he's still the hero of the WCS. <laughs> Uh, but you know that that is a surprisingly great lineup. Um, if, if you follow StarCraft Two, like SOS, Rain, and Dark are really great players, top tier players, and we don't usually get that anymore for for foreign StarCraft tournaments these days. Uh, but really, the big the big story is the Muslim. I mean, I haven't heard his name in, in quite a while. And for those who don't know, he used to be kind of a fixture of the Western scene in, in about 2011, but has since fallen off. He was one of those guys where you weren't really ever sure if he was going to become a, a top tier player you're always rooting for him that maybe he could break through and, and start beating top tier korean players uh but he's not he's not really there anymore so it'll be interesting to see if, was, if he's going to be able to make a dent against this really uh really stacked crowd or if this is kind of a, a fail farewell to her uh for a guy who's 25 now so it's a little bit older for a starcraft player we'll be discussing these tournaments on next week's show on september 29th hopefully <laughs> but yeah, so we should let you know that Andrew and I are both traveling extensively this weekend and next week. So the odds are good we'll either have to record an episode in advance or post one late or even skip a week. Uh, honestly, we have not figured out how we want to handle this. Uh, it's rare that our schedules are both so incompatible. So hopefully you'll bear with us as we try and sort out what exactly we're going to do for next week's show. Uh, but that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us and the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. We'd also love to hear your feedback and answer questions on the air, so drop us a line at questions at esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far, please rate and review us on iTunes, which is incredibly helpful for a new podcast. And tell your esports buddies about us.
We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.